This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. My name is Grace Johnson. I'm the assistant editor here at the Peninsula Pulse. I'm also the lead on our Hell Prize contest, which is our creative writing and photography contest. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Alan Morris, who is the judge for this year's photography contest. So welcome, Alan. Great. Thank you. Happy to be here. Alan is a photographer. He's currently an assistant professor at Black Hills State University. But I wanted to turn it over to you just to tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of how you came to your position at the school as well. Absolutely. So I'm originally from Oregon State. I was born and raised there and lived there until about 2008. And when I moved to Lincoln, Nebraska to attend my graduate program at the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, I earned my MFA, my Master of Fine Arts degree there in 2015 and count myself as extremely fortunate to immediately land a teaching position at the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee. So after I moved to Milwaukee, I held that job for about six years, cooling my heels at UWM and sort of honing my teaching chops and doing my own research and all that great stuff. And then I want to say it was just before the COVID pandemic shut everything down. Alicia contacted me from the Peninsula School of Art, and we've been working to try to get some workshops on the books and everything. And ever since then, and I was finally able to make my way back to Door County last year, after I took my new position out here in Spearfish, South Dakota at Black Hill State University, where I'm an assistant professor of photography, to offer my first set of workshops. And man, I forgot how much I've missed Wisconsin until I came back. And yeah. it got a hold of me real deep when I was living there. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to hopefully coming back this summer as well. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Milwaukee's a great area. I had a friend who went to the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design um, sure. for a few years, and I had a few friends at UWM as well studying yeah. various things, but I love Milwaukee. It's a great place. It's a great place. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. I love one of my favorite whenever I go down there. I always make sure to stop at OG's, Oakland Euros. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Best Euros. See, again, one of those things that I desperately miss not mm -hmm. living there anymore. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I know my friends when they're down there at school is one of those places where, you know, two o'clock in the morning, they're staying up and they kind of need a little snack to fuel their schoolwork. They'd always go over there. But uh, yeah, fun times. Absolutely. <laughs> so this year you had mentioned the Peninsula School of Art. And I've mentioned this in previous stories and podcasts, but I wanted to bring it up again. The art school has been partnering with us in this contest for many years. Mostly they would, you know, donate gift certificates for prize packages and things like that. And they had approached us, it was at the end of our 2021 contest about wanting to be a more involved partner. And we've been very grateful to have them join us in a bigger capacity and really help expand our photography contest because we have the backing 
of Write Outdoor County for all of the creative writing side. So it's great to have them. And we worked with them this year to select a judge and find somebody who is different from what we've had in the past. So kind of getting into that, your style from a little side note, I'm not a photographer. I know little (laughs) about, so forgive me (laughs) for, you know, trying to work around that. Sure. So your style from what we got from them, you know, is kind of explained as you really do like alternative process and kind of more style photos versus something that we've usually had, which is kind of more on like the editorial or journalistic Mm -hmm. kind of side. Can you kind of explain what that kind of style is and maybe touch a little bit on kind of some of the photo projects that you have done? Sure. So I have been a certified photo nerd for a very, very long time. And one of the things that I think is really amazing about being a photographer is that no matter what approach we take to the medium, whether we're shooting editorial photos or more fine artwork, we're kind of wizards and we get to manipulate things with chemistry and light and all Mm -hmm. of these amazing things. And so in contemporary art circles, it's become this sort of space in photography where you don't necessarily even have to make printed images anymore. You can expand onto light-based manipulation onto sculptures or drawings or paintings. And so that's kind of in my wheelhouse these days in, in my own individual research as, as an artist. I recently completed a body of work that I've titled The Same Dirt. And essentially, it's riffing on this really old process that's called lumen printing. And to sort of boil it down, I take darkroom photo paper that's just black and white standard issue darkroom paper. I've accumulated soil samples from various locations around the United States, including Alaska and Maine and Hawaii, the three toughest states to get dirt Mm -hmm. from. And basically, I kind of sprinkle that down on the surface of the paper, which blocks light from hitting it. And then using various stylus tools, so sticks, pencils, whatever I kind of have lying around on my desk at the time, I would draw lines through the dirt and then expose that whole photo paper dirt sandwich to sunlight and amazing things start to happen weird colors actually start to show up Mm -hmm. um, on that black and white paper and so it's a little bit of a combination of drawing skills and painting skills and general photo nerdliness i gave a talk once at the university of maine and farmington and a lady in the audience told me that I wasn't so much a photographer as I was a frustrated painter. And I don't think she's wrong. It was Mm -hmm. a little bit shocking to hear that at the time, but I think she's 100% right. And so I have essentially used that process to experiment and explore the borders of the United States, all 50 states, and to sort of recontextualize them as sort of a minor political statement. And then now that I'm sort of getting my feet underneath me here in my new home state of South Dakota, I've been doing some research about the history of the state and particularly when North Dakota and South Dakota became separate entities. And in that research, I found that along the North Dakota-South Dakota borderline in the very late years of the 1800s, a series of stone obelisks were inserted into the ground every half mile all the way along the border. 
And I find that incredibly interesting. Mm -hmm. We have these strange little demarcations in the flat and open landscape. And so with the help of a grant from the South Dakota Art Council and the Puffin Foundation, last summer I spent a few days traveling along that borderline on the east side of the Missouri River, which kind of bisects the state of South Dakota. And I've been using 3D capture technology and photogrammetry to re-render those mile markers as 3D printable entities. And so I've been spending my time since about late August of last year honing my 3D skills, my mm. sculpting skills with my computer, wow. uh, and learning about 3D printing technologies and materials. And so far I've got, I think I actually have my last 3D printer mile marker file being printed right now as we speak. So oh, wow. I'm excited to refire up my my research skills and get the 3D scanner back in my hands at the beginning of summer break to go out and finish the rest of the state and capture as many as I can. Yeah. About how long does it take to 3D print those? So the original markers are seven feet tall, but three and a half feet is buried. So only three and a half feet show above the surface, mm -hmm. or at least did over the intervening years, like they've been tipped over and broken down and some crazy things have happened. So I'm printing these mile markers at about one third scale. Oh, okay. And so it takes maybe four days of, <sighs> of printing in order to make them viable on the printers yeah. that I have. I have to break them down into four pieces and sort of re-glue them together mm -hmm. and all that great stuff. So I'm able to get through about one every four days. Gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> 3D printing blows my mind. Me too. It's It's been a really interesting learning experience because in my mind, you know, the physical act of printing was the complicated part, but now I've learned that that's the easy part. The, yeah. the difficulty happens in building the file and making sure that everything is sculpted correctly and translated into the codes correctly. And it's it's been really interesting and crazy fun. My students think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, and that's good because I actually wanted to kind of touch on your work as a professor as well. And, sure. you know, you have your um, these side projects that you have going on. Mm -hmm. But as you are working with your students, and I'm sure – you know, to some extent, there's a lot of, you know, basics and, you know, traditional things that mm -hmm. have to, these students have to go through. But does your work with students any way, like, inform maybe ideas that you have for your own projects? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the really cool parts about being a professor. And I would imagine that it would extend to all levels of being an educator is that, I feel like I get as much from my students as they get from me. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's all about the questions that they ask that help spur me to move forward in my own research and different ways of thinking about what I'm doing. And, you know, with this current body of work, it's been interesting because so many of my students are, you know, obviously from North and South Dakota, mm -hmm. and they had no idea that these border markers even existed. And so it's given away to these really amazing conversations about their experiences and how some of them have family farms that sort of straddle that line and how they didn't even realize that, that these things were out there. Or if they did, they gave them really no thoughts. And then the other factor that I always really enjoy in this particular job is that so many of our students, I mean, part of the program is that they not only take a ton of photo classes, but they take classes in graphic design and painting and sculpture and all the different mediums that are out there. 
And so they bring their work into our lab space more often than not yeah. <laughs> sometimes to do their homework and to work on other projects. And so it sparks this opportunity to have really dynamic conversations when I see, you know, a student is maybe doing some work in a screen printing class that could be directly applied to the photo projects that they're working on, or even if it's not technically, you know, related in terms of the mediums and materials, maybe there's an idea that's underlying their photo research that is tied into that printmaking research, and then they can expand on it. And just all the different ways that we can think about how the photo and how just art in general is sort of borderless. It, it sort of seeps around at the edges and kind of gets free from and does what it needs to. And it's really exciting. And I think the students, they, they dig that. They really like that freedom and flexibility. That's so interesting because, you know, as I had said earlier, I'm a, you know, non-photographer, I would say. I definitely mm -hmm. have an interest, you know, in photography. I have a few film cameras, black and white film cameras. Sure. You know, that I took a class in high school that I really loved and I discovered that I still had film in that camera and I'm trying to find somewhere around here that I can develop them. But, you know, most mm -hmm. places have closed down their dark rooms, unfortunately. Right. But it's just so interesting. I feel like this, you know, maybe like a lay person thinks of photography as just your basic, you know, you take photo with your, your phone or your right. camera and, you know, well, that, that's photography. But mm -hmm. there's kind of this other aspect where you have, you know, like all of your projects you're talking about, there's so much yeah. more that can go into it and, you know, across all of these different media. And it's so interesting, um, you know, how that all kind of can work together. Absolutely. It's it's a point that we really like to make in this program and all of the other academic programs that I've worked in is that photography at its core is just anything that has to do with light yeah. and writing with light. It's it's built into the name. And so, you know, if if you want to use projection and projection mapping skills to that are highly digital uh, to make your work that's more performative, like let's do it. Yeah. And it's it's an amazing time to to be a contemporary artist because there's a lot of that open-mindedness across the board and it's just amazing. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about this because I was online the other day and every once in a while, I f you know, you see comments that are basically, if you're augmenting a photo, then it's not a good photo to begin with, or, you know, it, it doesn't count, Sure, you know, that it has to be, you know, one and done, be able to get it. And then that's a good photo. But as soon as you bring in editing and all this other stuff, it doesn't count. So I'm right. you know, curious, you know, your thoughts on that. We've been talking about it a little bit, but. Yeah, well, I, I think if you were to have asked me that question maybe 25 years ago, mm -hmm. I probably would have been completely on board with it, that, you know, everything should come out of the camera, rip-roaring and perfect. Yeah. But I think as a grown as an artist, and it's a conversation that we have with our students fairly often, I've, I've really come to realize that you have to manipulate mm -hmm. or maybe make some minor tweaks because there are so many variables that go into what we do as photographers, even in the most sort of controlled environment in the, the most advanced studios, there's still a little bit of tweaking that has to happen after the fact. Yeah. And I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I, I talked to my students, our beginning photo students are working in the dark room here at, at BH. And I remind them that 
part of being in the darkroom is using filters and experimenting with different exposure parameters and things to make your photograph look the way that you wanted it to look or that mm -hmm. you envisioned it when you pushed the button. Yeah. And, you know, now with, you know, AI generated imagery, I find myself kind of in that position again, but in a different sort of way where, you know, I'm fully on board with manipulating images, but who for the yeah. briefest of moments, I thought, man, just letting a computer do all this and like making it up from pixels and number, like that's just crazy town to me. But I've sort of built a bridge and got over that mm -hmm. <laughs> particular objection because I think it's, it's just the future, but it's now it's the contemporary and anything that that exists materially or digitally i think it's it's a wonderful playground for artists to get into and so i i think when we went from the dark room to beginning digital days and photoshop and those editing softwares came out onto the market the practitioners that were already sort of established were, you know, up in arms because, oh my God, now you can do all this stuff without having to think about it. You can just mm -hmm. do it later. And now we don't even have to be behind a camera anymore to make a photo. And it's, it's crazy. It's unnerving, mm -hmm. but it's super exciting. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to see, you know, what kind of submissions that we'll get this year when we'll yeah. touch on the categories in just a bit here, but it'll be, this is kind of our, this is our first year of really having more, you know, fine art, I guess you could say categories, you know, outside mm -hmm. of, we just introduced categories for photography last year sure. to begin with, but so yeah, it'll be really cool to see what kind of stuff we'll get this year. Yeah, I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah. And you had um, kind of brought this up earlier, but I want to touch on this. There's a planned workshop with Peninsula School of Art yes. this summer, June 13th to 16th. Mm -hmm. Can you just touch on, you know, what you're going to be doing for that workshop? We can get people out there a chance potentially to Absolutely. work with our judge this year. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think I'm, I'm on the calendar to do two different sessions. One of them is a little bit more of a professional practices type workshop where we look at the work that artists have already created and start thinking about how they can market themselves and draft some artist statements and those sort of things. But the longer term one, I think it's slated for four days, is an experimental workshop where photographers start to use time in different ways. Yeah. So I think when a lot of us think about traditional photos or even contemporary photos, however we kind of want to draw that line, we think about snapshots, those instantaneous split-second captures where motion is stopped in its tracks and, you know, it, it sort of is that established and traditional look. But we tend to forget that photography in and of itself is just capturing light over time and some really amazing and magical things can happen aesthetically when we give our cameras more time mm -hmm. to capture that light. So some of these simple examples are taking a long exposure next to a highway or a busy city street and you see all the taillights streaking past. Yeah. And I think that's one way to use time. But one of the other ways that was influential and impactful in one of my previous bodies of work was and again, this is where that frustrated painter photographer comes out of me, mm -hmm. is basically holding my camera with a long exposure. So it's constantly collecting light, but moving that camera around a scene to sort of paint light onto my digital sensor. Mm -hmm. 
And so it just gives a different abstract, non-realistic sort of look that feels a little bit more like a charcoal drawing or a rough painting than an actual photograph. And so with this workshop, we're going to experiment with a couple of different approaches to using time and thinking about time from doing stop capture imagery where we do that sort of split second thing. We'll do a little bit of painting with light. And then I'm hoping, because I'm also very interested in the materials that we get to use as artists, there's a process out there that uses old printing technology from the 70s and 80s that uh, you can use over extended amounts of time. And it creates basically a blueprint, but inverted. So it's it's not a process that I'm terribly familiar with. I've been doing a whole ton of research on it. And that's kind of the cool thing about the uh, workshops mm-hmm. <laughs> is that not only do I get an excuse to really dive deep into a new process or new technique, but I get to learn along with my students how mm-hmm. things work. And so in as much as they're learning about the little foibles and crazinesses about these new processes and ways of thinking about the medium, I'm also getting to learn a little bit along with them. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org careers. What do you think has been kind of one of the And not necessarily, it doesn't have to be for this workshop in particular, but, you know, as you prepare for different classes, workshops, you know, what have you, has there been anything that you've kind of discovered along the way that has really stuck with you, you know, something that you want to, that you have tried and you really like, or something that you really want to get more into? I think... For me, the the world of photo is just so wide open and I get super excited about any aspect of it mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that I'm, I'm so happy to do any workshop or any class about any facet. Mm-hmm. But I think what really, what really excites me is when students start to see and experience the photograph outside of the frame, mm-hmm. whether that's the printed frame or the viewfinder frame. And start to really think about not necessarily what a photograph is or has been, but what it can be. Again, kind of leaning back onto materials and the different processes that we can use to transfer an image that we print on sort of a standard inkjet printer and then adhere it beautifully or attach it wonderfully to a three-dimensional object or hacking printers and printing hardware to print on different kinds of fabric that can Mm -hmm. be sewn into garments and made into tapestries and just to sort of see the extended field, the bigger picture that's a terrible photo pun, but I'm going to stick to it, <laughs> mm-hmm. of the photography world because there's just so much out there. And it's really amazing for me as an instructor because a lot of the students that I work with, whether it's at the university level or in workshops, really have kind of a, a small view of yeah. what the photograph is. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And so I like to to give them some elbow room and, and sort of expand their minds a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I love doing it. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we're going to get into um, the HAL Prize a little bit. But before we do, as I prepare for my interviews, you know, I always really like looking for fun and unusual things mm -hmm. that my my subjects like our interests outside of, you know, what we're talking about. And sure. I found three things that I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, are other hobbies that you have outside of photography. Mm -hmm. I found baking, bookmaking, and beagles. Yes. The, my <laughs> other three Bs. The three Bs. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, I... I don't know. I think it's just the creativity in baking mm -hmm. that really appeals to me. Plus, you know, baked goods. I mean, who doesn't yes. like a, yep. mm -hmm. a cupcake, you know? Yeah. And so I really like to experiment um, with different recipes that I find. During the COVID lockdown era, when I was in Milwaukee, I was able to, like so many others, experiment mm -hmm. with sourdough for the first time. And I, mm -hmm. I sort of, I laughingly say that it's kind of my love language because I, I bake things for people because... I know how happy they make me, mm -hmm. not only to eat them, but also to make them. Yeah. So I love to share them with everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I, I truly love that. Bookmaking was also kind of a COVID lockdown thing because I was trying to figure out a way that I could continue to physically make things mm -hmm. while I was relegated to my apartment. Yeah. And I've always found the book form to be really, really beautiful. I mean, mm -hmm. to be able to sequence a book and have control over the order in which the viewer or the handler sees things is amazing. But there's an incredibly rich art form and that just goes deep into the different binding styles and the aesthetics mm -hmm. of the bindings themselves become amazing and become like a visual part and component to the overall finished product. And it's just, again, amazing to think about the ways that you can incorporate that overarching concept to the mm -hmm. finished product. Yeah. And then the third B, the the furry one, <laughs> I've, I've had two beagles in my life and they just... They're, such, they're the best people. I, yeah. I tell people all the time that beagles are the best people. Yeah. My, my current beagle, she's almost four. Her name is Aggie. Oh, um, we, uh, my partner and I adopted her just at the end of 2019, so around Thanksgiving. And then the world stopped mm -hmm. for a bit. So she's a bit of a COVID puppy. But uh, yeah, she's just she just brings so much joy and mm -hmm. happiness. And you know, her nose gets her into trouble, as any good hounds will do. Yeah. But I love her to pieces. And I actually brought her here to campus yesterday. I hope the president isn't listening. <laughs> because it, we're, <laughs> we're ramping up to finals and all of my students are just on pins and needles and yeah. just so anxious. And so to have a little furry pal to come in for a little bit and, and calm their nerves, I think, goes a very, very long way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. There's, well, two things, actually. So when I... um. When I was in college, I went to Lawrence University in Appleton. Sure. And typically at the end, during our third term, when the weather was nice, they would have, I can't remember if they had a name for it, but they would basically have like a dog therapy day where yeah. staff and staff and students, you know, could bring their dogs to the campus and mm -hmm. they would kind of have them set up outside the library. So any student can just... Oh, and there's our office dog. I don't know if you can hear him in the <laughs> they background. They know we're talking about them. <laughs> uh, so you can, you know, go and greet the dogs and play with the dogs during, you know, that really stressful time. It's so nice, especially for students who are away from home for maybe mm -hmm. the first time in their life. And they're used to having their pets and animals around them and they don't have that so much. It's kind of a nice little 
back to earth and nice connection for them to make. Mm -hmm. Yep. And as I don't know if you could hear him in the background, but we have an office dog here at the Pulse. He's a Weimariner. And, oh, um, nice. Yeah, he's um, a, he's a good boy. He makes a lot of noise, though. Of course. <laughs> so, he sounds very opinionated. <laughs> yes. Anytime anyone comes in, he just gets way too excited and has to say hello to everybody as loud as he can, um, <laughs> which is a work in progress. But, I love that. Yeah, it was great after, because the owner here, he had adopted him, I think it was during the pandemic, and we were all mm -hmm. working out of office at that point. So sure. coming back to being in an office again full time and having that a little furry friend who's around yeah. is, is just really great, you know, after sitting at your computer for hours and you just need to take a minute to look away and, you know, play catch with a little dog and well, he's not so little right. anymore, but... <laughs> have something warm and fuzzy to hang out with and chat with. For yeah, a bit. exactly. So, <laughs> so we're going to get into the Hell Prize now. Quickly, just wanted to, if anyone hasn't seen them yet, kind of list off what our categories are this year. We had asked the art school and you to kind of collaborate and kind of come up with what we're going to do this year. And right. I think we're going to be kind of going with a similar format now going forward, but we've kept three of the categories from last year that were pretty popular and then picked two that kind of fall into your wheelhouse a little bit. Right. So for categories that we're keeping from last year, we have our landscape and nature, people and portraits, as well as animals. And then our new categories this year are analog alternative processes and digital manipulation. Right. So I'm going to let you kind of explain the new categories. I think you're going to have sure. a better <laughs> way of saying that I can attempt to. But yeah, <laughs> let's go over those two and kind of why you decided to go with those two. Absolutely. So both of them, it was a little bit selfish of me, I'll be completely honest, because <laughs> those are also sort of mm -hmm. in my wheelhouse and yeah. my interest right now. But I think the analog alternative process stuff, it's a really wonderful way for folks who are practicing artists, whether they believe they are artists or not, to play around with what could be photographic. Because I know a number of students in different classes that I have taught and workshops that I've given come with a painter's background or, you know, one who draws a lot. And so they really don't see how those disciplinary traits can sort of crossover. Mm -hmm. And so, like I had mentioned my my project, The Same Dirt, essentially all I was doing was just drawing on photographic paper and letting the sun essentially do the heavy lifting and having a little bit of a little bit of luck mm -hmm. with the finished product. And I mean that's something that an quote unquote fine artist, a painter, a draftsperson can easily do. And just thinking not only about the processes themselves, which is one aspect of that particular category, but the materials that you print on. I mean, it's easy to think of a photograph as something that lives on paper or maybe on a bit of canvas, but what happens when you print on fabric and mm -hmm. then that fabric gets sewn into uh, an amazing garment or becomes part of a quilt. One of my favorite projects from the recent iteration of my alternative processes class was from a student who recycled her father's denim jeans into a quilt wow. and she made cyanotype prints on them, which is exactly a blueprint process that we used to use in architecture all the time. And so it was just this beautiful homage to her father that keeps him warm at night in the cold Nebraska winters. Mm -hmm. 
And so that's one of those really great hands-on tactile, throw a photo on it and let's see how it works sort of categories. Mm-hmm. And then the digital manipulation one, again, I think it's kind of a, a coming to terms with the realities of where we are. As technology advances, we find ourselves in this place where a photograph doesn't have to be made from film and paper. It can be made of ones and zeros, you know, binary code. Yeah. And now, even like we discussed earlier, the photographer doesn't even necessarily need a camera. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the digital manipulations category, I think, in as much as the alternative processes gives people the physical ability to manipulate things materiality-wise, this category, the digital manipulation one, allows people to really think about how they can push pixels around in kind of the same way that they would a glob of paint or a bit of chemistry in the dark room. I've had a number of students in the past. One in particular comes to mind. Her name's Jenna Marty. She was one of my students at UWM. She would actually get into the the code of a photograph of a digital image and she would incorporate passages from her journal mm-hmm. into the bits and verbiage and text and ones and zeros of the file mm-hmm. and it would change the image just like the experience that she was writing about in those journal entries ostensibly changed her mm-hmm. and so they became these really beautiful sort of visual representations of those changes and alterations and there're just again so many opportunities out there for people even if they are just meandering around the world with a smartphone to think creatively with that camera yeah. there's no rules that say you you can't so mm-hmm. you should yeah <laughs> and I, I think it just gives it a real well-rounded approach at the end yeah we have you know kind of our quote unquote i don't really know what else to call them but basic categories it's not really the correct word for that you know traditional categories. traditional <laughs> category there you go. that's that's better um traditional categories <laughs> but do you have anything or like advice or you know thoughts for people that might be submitting to those categories where you know kind of the thought process that goes through for you know some of these more involved processes but kind of still Absolutely. have that same mindset when doing traditional work Absolutely. I think the reason that the categories that we're talking about are are traditional, the landscape and nature, the human portrait and the animals, it's because they're they're timeless, they're classic. Mm -hmm. And there's never a shortage of really any of those things. And so I think what's really amazing about those sort of categories is that you can certainly rely on the uh, images that we've seen through photo history, the the photos that we see on the National Geographic channel or in the, the magazines and all that great stuff, or you can start to think about more conceptual personal things. Mm-hmm. Because for me, it's one of the aspects that I, I try to get my students to really think about is that while a photograph should be aesthetically pleasing and compositionally sound and technically strong, it, it should mean something to you at the end of the day. And so I think my, my advice for folks who are thinking about these traditional ways uh, and these traditional categories is think about ways that you can incorporate your narrative or your interest, the, the love that you have for the landscape or for other humans or for the animal kingdom in the photographs that you submit because it's going to show through and and we'll definitely be able to see that in the end product and just have fun with it. There's so many beautiful things out there to capture. So 
capture them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lastly here, kind of on the same thread, but just more generally, do you have any advice for any of people that might be considering entering into the HalPrize photography in any category? I think any opportunity that we have as as self-described artists or certified and pedigreed artists to get our work in front of a jury, in front of our peers, in front of fresh eyes, it's absolutely worth its weight in gold. And there's something really kind of amazing that happens in that process when you put your work out into the world. It's kind of like putting an exclamation point or a real solid punctuation mark at the end of the sentence that you've been creating and crafting in the darkroom or in Photoshop or however your your medium works. And so I think give it a try. Best case scenario, you might win a prize. Worst case scenario, you've got the experience of submitting work and working within those guidelines that are so common between galleries and competitions and those sort of venues that I think it's always worth a shot. Yeah, definitely. Submit, submit. I want to see all the photos that Door County has to offer. <laughs> yes. All right. So I'm just going to go over some quick important things for anybody listening here about the contest. We opened submissions on May 1st. So we are getting really close to submissions opening and we're going to have them open through September 1st. So you have a few months to work on things. Um, I always recommend before submitting, make sure that all of your work is final. That also includes our creative writers. Make sure that your story is publication ready when you enter. We are changing our submission platform this year. It's called Zealous. We have more information about that on our website and everything. We have it set up. So if you go to our website, thehelpprize.com, on our submit page, when you click that button, it'll take you directly to our Zealous page with all of our submission information and everything. I think that's kind of the basics. If you are interested in learning more about um, the workshops that are going to be offered at the Art School, Peninsula School of Art, their website is peninsulaschoolofart.org. I would definitely check them out, look more into Alan's workshops, but there is also the art school offers a ton of different workshops for various levels, youth programs, adult programs. There are some free programs. You have photography and all different sorts of media and art. So I would definitely check them out. All right. So I think that's it. Do you have any final words for anyone listening? I'm excited to, to see what everyone comes up with. I, I know there's so many creative folks in Wisconsin and Door County is such a beautiful place to photograph in that I'm, I'm just over the moon to be able to see what everyone's able to come up with. All right. Well, thank you again for taking the time to chat. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And to everyone listening, get ready to submit. Be prepared. We are really looking forward to all of your submissions this year, especially what we'll get out of the uh, photography contest. Again, Alan, thanks, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.